Good morning and happy birthday. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? The birthday of the church. How did the church become the church? Well, on the day of Pentecost, as we read before, God poured his Holy Spirit out and the church was birthed. But this morning, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, but we're going to look at Jesus really explaining what the, the apostles would witness whenever they tarried in Jerusalem. And to find that, um, those pictures, they're presented in John's Gospel, uh, beginning with John 14. If you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, we're going to be jumping around a little bit this morning because... Um, about three of these chapters really have a lot to say about what Jesus wanted the apostles to know about what would happen whenever he was crucified and then they, he would send them to Jerusalem, what they should expect. And so we're going to begin this morning with John chapter 14 and uh, verse 16. Before I begin, let me say welcome this morning. It's good to have you here this morning. And um, I am, um, this will be, I think I have four more, no, three more services, three more weeks with you. And uh, so I'm looking forward to the time when your pastor comes. Pastor Chris will be here the first Sunday in July. So be much in prayer. Um, when, when a pastor begins in a church, that's a very important thing. And the church needs to be ready. The pastor needs to be ready because Something new begins, and so you need to be in prayer for pra Pastor Chris and for yourselves, amen? There's a, a melding of the congregation and a pastor that needs to occur, so please be in prayer for Pastor Chris as he comes. I know that he would appreciate it, and I know God's expectation is that you will do that. Um, so thank you for being here this morning. Let's begin John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Another. Who is the one they already have? That's right. So Jesus is praying that the Father will give another comforter, that he may abide with you for a little bit. No, forever. Amen. <laughs> a time without end. The Holy Spirit is going to be with those he gives the Holy Spirit to. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Even when Jesus was daily with his disciples, there were times when Jesus couldn't be found. Jesus wasn't constantly in their life. Now, we don't really think about those times, but Jesus in his humanity was just like we are. He could only be in how many places at once? Mothers, don't ask, don't answer that, because I know you think you can be in five or six places at once. But we know that none of us can be in more than one place at a time. Amen? Jesus, that was true about Jesus. Jesus could only be in one place at a time. He was physically in one place in mark chapter 1 verse 35 there's an interesting three little verses you read here beginning with verse 35 and it said in the morning rising up a great while before day he went out jesus and departed into a solitary place and there prayed a solitary place and simon and they that were with him followed after him and when they had found him they said unto him all men seek thee, which implies that Jesus was where you had to look for him because he wasn't there with them. He had gone off by himself. Jesus, when he was here, could only be where he was. But the comforter that he's going to send is going to be different, isn't he? Because Jesus says that when the comforter comes, he's going to be with you and in you forever. There's not a time or a place when you have to be without God's Spirit and dwelling presence in your life. 
Jesus has said that when the Father gives him, the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and in you forever. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of comforting. Because there is not a place in my life that I'm going to go or that you're going to go in life that you can't have the abiding presence of God's Spirit in your life. That's a wonderful thing. I know that there have been many times in my life when I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the, the empowering strength of God's presence in my life. Um, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a comforting thought. I'll never leave thee. You're not gonna, you don't have to worry about Jesus not being with you sometime because his promise is that he'll be with you always. And the church was going to be visited with that reality just a few days after Jesus died. And that is the beginning of the church. Um, how many of you know this song? There's a peace in my heart that the world never gave. A peace it cannot take away. Though the trials of life may surround like a cloud, I have a peace that has come here to stay. Constantly abiding Jesus is mine, constantly ab abiding, rapture divine. He never leaves me lonely, whispers, oh, so kind. I will never leave thee. Jesus is mine. All the world seems to sing of a Savior and a King when peace sweetly came to my heart. Troubles all fled away, and my night turned to day. Bless Jesus, how glorious thou art. This treasure I have in a temple of clay while here on this, his footstool I roam. But he's coming to take me some glorious day over there to my heavenly home. Constantly abiding, Jesus is mine. Aren't you glad that's a, a truth? It's a song you can sing in your heart. How many of you sing that song every once in a while? It just comes to your heart. Just you've got to sing that song, constantly abiding. Jesus is mine. He never leaves me lonely, whispers, oh, so kind, I will never leave thee. Jesus is mine. Now, that's a wonderful thing to be a witness to in your life. But the second thing I want you to see here, not only is Jesus going to be with us and in us forever, Jesus is a comforter. In John chapter 14, verse 16, the Holy Spirit is first referred to as the comforter. And in verse 18, Jesus alludes to the fact that he knows when he is physically gone from their presence, it's going to seem like their world is turned upside down. Now, if, if you and I could just take a moment and we could think about what it must have been to be in the presence of Jesus. Now, I know we have his spirit alive in us, but can you imagine walking down the road with Jesus? Can you imagine, now this is hard for me, can you imagine putting your arms around him as you walk along like a good friend or a buddy? And yet that's what the disciples did day in and day out. They had that kind of close physical contact with Jesus. But Jesus knew that pretty soon that was going to change. And he makes point that when he's gone, Things are going to be different for them. And he says, I'm going to send the comforter to you. Well, in John chapter 16, verses 16 through 20, if you want to flip, flip over there, I want you to talk, I want to just look at this passage here because Jesus is talking to them about what's going to happen. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said to themselves, They said, therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. 
Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Jesus there is making the very clear statement to them that there's coming a time when I'm not going to be with you. And your reaction to that is going to be one of abject despondency. You're just going to be brokenhearted that I'm not with you. And you see that in the disciples. Can you imagine what would happen to us as believers if we had just to believe that Jesus lived and that he died and then we never heard or saw anything else from him again? We just had to believe that he died for us. It would be a whole different matter for us, wouldn't it? I mean, we might, be, we might believe that he died for our sins, a lot of, there are lots of religions that are kind of like that. They have great teachings. There's uh, some kind of a teaching that people hold on to and they believe in that. But their lives are not filled with joy that Christians experience because there's a difference in our faith. We serve a risen Savior. And He isn't just risen. And he, he rose from the dead. He sent, ascended into the, to the heavens and He sent the comforter and if you are if you're a born-again believer in jesus christ this morning there should be an indwelling comforting presence in your life you should be witness to the fact that jesus is alive why because he lives in me amen now that's a truism for me i'll never forget when i was born again by the way i believe that when you are born again you are given the holy spirit you're given the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean you've surrendered to Him, but there's a witness in your heart. When you're born again, there's something that occurs inside of you, and you know what's happened to you. You may not be able to prove it to anybody else by saying it or talking about it. You will try. But there is something in you that testifies to the fact that the one who has risen has come and now abides in me, and I sense his presence in my life. Day in and day out, he is a constant companion to me. He is the comfort I need in a world that is lost and undone. I have a sense of belonging. I have a sense of purpose. I have a sense of future for me. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he is able to take that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know what is mine. Amen. He lives inside of me. His comforting presence is my reality. This morning we were talking about living holy lives in the Sunday school. And one of the problems we face, all of us, is there are times when we fail. Amen. Now, I'm not gonna, I don't think anybody here knows what this is like. It's probably just me. But I know what it's like to fail. And you, know what I, you know what happens to me when I fail? I sense God's Spirit, this abiding presence, this comforter in me, become disappointed with me. Amen? Um, Y'all know what disappointment is. How many of you had dis mothers that were ever disappointed in you? Was that hurtful? You know, if your, your mama, if you did something and your mama, would she just look at you and she'd give you the look? And she wasn't being mean. You just see the brokenheartedness in her heart. I'm going to tell you how pervasive that is. We used to have a, a sh German shepherd dog. Her name was Lin Lindy Love. And she was a purebred German Shepherd. She was beautiful, very smart dog. She had been raised on a farm. We had chickens and ducks, and Lindy would kill a chicken every once in a while. And you know how you could tell when Lindy killed a chicken? She'd only do it when we were gone. If we'd leave, she, she, you'd come home, 
And you could always tell when Lindy had done something she wasn't supposed to. She would normally greet you at the gate. When you pulled into the property and you opened the gate, she'd be right there jumping all around. She'd be overjoyed unless she killed a chicken. And then she'd be slinking on her belly around. And you didn't have to ask if she'd done something you know she had. You ever felt that way? You felt God just, just taking a look at you, and you go, oh, man, I'm lowering the dog, I'm telling you. Amen? That's the dwelling presence of God's Spirit in your heart, identifying your mind, and you shouldn't have done that. I don't expect that from you. Amen? That's the indwelling. And, and to me, I'm going to tell you something. That's a comfort to me. It isn't always a comfort that I feel that because I know I failed, but it is always a comfort that I know he cares so much that he never lets me get away with anything. He loves me, and he has great expectations for me. And the Father sent his spirit down there to just be inside of me. That, and just as soon somebody in our class this morning said, uh, if you fail to do something that God's spirit was asking you to do, you knew it immediately. Just as soon as you did it, you knew you shouldn't have done it. That's the, that's, to me, it's a comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a sure sign God has a claim on your life. Amen? Are you thankful for that, church? You know, we don't praise God too much like we used to. We used to praise God because of all of his many blessings to us. We should continue to praise God because he has done so much for us. Oh, spread the tidings round wherever man is found. Wherever human hearts and human woes abound. Let every Christian tongue proclaim the joyful sound. The Comforter has come. Y'all remember that song? The Comforter's come, the Comforter's come. The Holy Ghost from heaven, the, the Father's promise given. Oh, spread the tidings round wherever man is found. The Comforter has come. I love this verse. Listen to this. The long, long night is past. The morning breaks at last. And hushed the dreadful wail and fury of the blast. As o'er the golden hills the day advances fast. The Comforter has come. Lo, the great King of kings with healing in his wings to every captive soul a full deliverance brings. And through the vacant sails the song of triumph rings. The Comforter has come. O boundless love divine, how shall this tongue of mine to wandering mortals tell the matchless grace divine that I, a child of hell, should in his image shine. The comforter has come. Praise the Lord. My goodness, church, you ought to be thanking God for what he's doing in your heart and in your life. Amen. The comforter has come. I just love that was one of my I, when I was growing up, I loved that song. There was such imagery there. Uh, the, the, and every captive soul of full deliverance brings, and through the vacant sails of captivity, the song of triumph rings. Amen. You know what that's like? Have you been in one of those old sails locked up by sin? And God's Spirit came and sprung you. Amen. <laughs> Set you free, and you knew what it was like to be leaving that old cell of the captivity of sin and walking out into the daylight of a new day. What a blessed, blessed God we serve who has taken care of everything we need. He's provided for us. We have the indwelling presence of the Comforter himself. Well, if you look at verse 26 there of chapter 14. But the Comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatever, whatsoever I have said unto him. We, um, Glenn and I have talked to some about, we, both of us love to study. And 
I gave a, a list of things, AIDS, that he probably knew more, m most about them, but I gave him a list of AIDS that he, books that he could use to help him study scripture, dictionaries, and just, you know, things that I use all, all the time. But the greatest single aid to the study of scripture is the Holy Spirit. If you're a, if you're a Bible, and by the way, Bible scholar, there are Bible scholars all over the place. Duke Divinity School's full of Bible scholars, and I'm worried they don't know the Holy Spirit because, man, they come up with all kinds of weird stuff. Why is that? Because they're just using this. And if this is all you've got, plus all the tools you can come up with, books and libraries full, if this is all you've got, you will never understand God's truth. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that leads you and guides you into all truth. God's, God's will and way will never make sense to you if you don't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit because it is by Him that truth is made real in your life. By the way, God's Word is true. It is truth. And, the, and when you study God's Word, the truth can make you free. It can set you free. But it is the Holy Spirit that enables it to do that. How many of you know this can just be words on a page? It is to people, to a lot of people. By the way, if you read this and you haven't been born again, there's not a lot of it's going to make sense to you. Now, some of it will. You'll see, you'll see that Jesus died, and you'll see the Bible tells you that he died for one reason, because you're lost and undone and you need a Savior. And that will make sense to you. But you will not understand a lot of the things that, and I listen to people today. I listen to people in the church today who, who say basically all you need is the New Testament. If all you've got is the New Testament, you're missing half the Bible. Because the Old Testament is full of Jesus. Boy, when you start studying with the Holy Spirit, he just opens it up and you see Jesus on every page. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit teaches you the truth. There's more to it there. We're going to get to that too. Let's, let's move on. In Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, And when they bring you into synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. Lord, I don't know how to talk to people who don't know Jesus. I just never can figure out what to say. Well, Jesus says in a much more difficult area that the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say if you're about to be killed. How many of you think he won't teach you what to say if you want to be a witness? If you trust him and you will rely on him, he will give you the words to say that make a difference in a life. And by the way, we're in Sunday school. We had, we had some good discussions in Sunday school, y'all. You may not understand what happened when you are faithfully obeying the Lord's Spirit. You may not be able to see what good is being done. That's not your job. Your job is to be faithfully doing what God's asked you to do. When the Holy Spirit leads you, you faithfully obey him and leave the results to God. Amen? Because it may be a year before that starts working in somebody's life, but God sows seeds. How many of you plant tomato plants and then go out there and try to get tomatoes off of them? Don't you need to wait a little while? See, the results are in God's hands. They're not in ours, and we, we, we just expect that there will be results and leave them up to God. Amen? Meanwhile, we can, we can definitely believe God will help us when we need his help. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to list you to listen to these verses. I wish y'all put that clock back up back there. This is chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 17 through 14. But we speak the mystery of God, we, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, there was a mystery that was unknown 
to the people in the old world, in the Old Testament, if that had not been true, if they would have known what was at stake, they never would have crucified Jesus. Amen? Do you know the devil didn't even know what was going to happen? devil thought he won when Jesus died. He can be fooled just like you. Don't give him any extra credit. He doesn't deserve it. Now, he's a powerful being, but he's not like God. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath, have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you like that verse? I like that because I have a great um, imagination. And that verse tells me that even more than I could think, it's never even entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. Boy, that's a comforting thought, isn't it? I'm expecting heaven to be pretty good. I'm just saying. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the, man, the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God." Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now there you've got a very clear answer to what is the difference between what the world can know and what God's people should know. They can never understand because those things are only spiritually discerned. So if you listen to people, one of the people I like to listen to is, is Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is a psychologist and um, he's in the middle of trying to figure out what God is. He's making progress. Very bright man. But I listen to him, and he doesn't know God yet. He's trying to, and he's coming to some, some fairly good conclusions, but he hasn't, he's looking at it like a psychologist. You, know, you can't look at, you can't understand the mysteries of God from a man's sciences or a man's viewpoint. You'll never understand him. You'll just come up to dead ends over and over again. There'll be no, listen to this, there'll be no connectedness. God's Word is full of connections. I love, I love that thing. It's when you read the Old Testament, it's like that. It says this, and then you look over here, and boy, that's, that's, that's like that. Boy, look at this. It's the, the, old, the Bible is its own. It's the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It just supports itself all over the place. And God's Word is like that. You can't discern it apart from the indwelling presence of the Lord's Spirit in your life. Now, let me just, I want a word of caution here. It doesn't mean that you'll know everything you should know just because God's Spirit is in you, because it won't be revealed to you unless you want it. Now, what do I mean by want it? It's not a casual want. Seek the Lord, how much? No, you can get away with just complacently seeking him right you know if you just if, you know whatever if the lord wants me he, if the lord wanted me to know he would make sure i knew really my bible says that you shouldn't cast pearls before swine because they have no appreciation of them do you appreciate the deep things of god if you do he'll know because you'll be looking for them You'll be seeking them with all your heart. You will see their importance, and you will not give up until you hear from God's spirits opening your understanding and helping you to, to know what truth is. Church, don't be lazy. You've got to seek God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It doesn't come some other way. God's spirit wants to enable you 
but you have to want it more than the things that compete for him in your life. Trust me when I tell you that. When I go to study, one of the first things that I do, and I have to, sometimes I have to stop and wait, hold it, hold it, I haven't done this. First thing I do is I stop and say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm here because I want you, and I want to know about you, and everything else doesn't matter, but I need to hear from you, Lord. So when I open your word, I want your Holy Spirit to just open my eyes. Open my heart to what it is you say to me. It doesn't come another way, people. I'm telling you that. It's not because somebody's smarter than you. It's because of desire in your heart. You have to desire it. And there are lots of things people desire, amen? The single greatest aid to the study of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. Nothing will do more. The Holy Spirit testifies about who Jesus is. Um, it was Jesus that posed the question to his disciples as found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Y'all remember this? When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, man am? Well, that's a very important question. If you think you know Jesus, you're fooled. I've been, I've been studying on him for 40 years. And the one thing that I am sure of this morning is I stand before you and I consider myself somebody who studies. I won't go so far as to say I'm a scholar, but I'm somebody who studies. The one thing I know is I haven't scratched the surface. Jesus is so much more than I understand him to be. He's more than you understand him to be. But the Holy Spirit wants to testify to who He is in your life. Sometimes that comes because of experiencing things in life and you coming straight up against uh, the fact that, boy, I'm not sufficient here. I, I, need, I need more than I am. By the way, I love this phrase. You know who God identifies Himself as? He told Moses... When, they, when Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me? Remember what he said? He said, tell them, I am sent you. I like that. That's an open-ended kind of identification, isn't it? There's no, there's like a blank there you fill in, I am. See, in life, that's what we run up against. We run up against something that we have to fill the blank in, and we say, this is an area I, don't, I need here. This, I'm not able I, I don't know what to do here. And we can turn to the one who says, well, I am knows what to do. You need patience? I am patience. And my patience is sufficient for your need. And if you want my patience, I give it gladly. What is it that you need? Because the Holy Spirit wants to give you what you need. It's his desire to do that. It's what he's all about. Why? Because Jesus is sufficient for every need, and the Holy Spirit wants to testify about who Jesus is to you in your life. He wants you to know that he can be everything you'll need in life. What's the verse? John 15, verses 25 and 26. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause, talking about the world here the world hated him without a cause why because they did not know who he was they did not re, um, they didn't um, recognize him that's what the word I, was, I said it's an R word they didn't recognize him they knew they should be expecting Messiah but they weren't looking for the one who came amen do you know the world is still that way today the world still thinks that there's a need that we, if God, if God is the God who's, who is supposed to be all good, then they would, he would do this or he'd do that. And they're always coming up with some, some, summations of what they think God should be or should do. The problem is they don't know what the problem is. That's their problem. But God knows exactly what is needed. And the Holy Spirit 
uh, verse 26, But when the Comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he will testify about me, Jesus said. What will he tell you? Well, that need you have? Let me tell you what. Jesus is the answer for your need. Yeah, but it's not really it's spiritual. I mean, I need, I don't know how to, I'm not taking care of my family. I, things just look tough. I mean, I got more month than I have dollars. I mean, I, I understand God wants me to be a nice guy, but I need help financially. All the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. All the gold and silver in those hills, they're all mine. You think God can't provide for you? Of course he can. Because you have a God who is able, no matter what your need is, he is sufficient for your need. And Jesus is the answer. Um, The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Now, we have already talked about this all the way back there in John chapter 14. He's identified for the first time as the spirit of truth. John 14 and 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. But John 15, 26 also mentions, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. But look at verse uh, chapter 16, verse uh, 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show, show you things to come. The, speak, the spirit of truth. It's important for us to realize that the truth is not often what we think it is. How many of you know our evaluation of truth is almost always tainted by our fallen state? I have uh, friends who, actually I have, I have a nephew who is gay. And... Um, Joe struggled with this all of his life. Um, Early on, we recognized the tendencies. Today, Joe is living out there in that life. The world looks at that situation, and the world looks at it and says, well, that is terrible. I mean, how how can God be angry at somebody who has to deal with that issue? Well, it's a good question. Because how do you justify that? How do you, how do you get your mind around the fact that somebody born like every other child but has tendencies that are, that are really difficult all their life? How do you deal with that? I mean, does it even make sense? Um, how do you get the truth about that? Because it doesn't seem fair, does it? We well, didn't choose this. I know for a fact he did not choose to feel this way. I saw the struggle, and I've seen many people over my lifetime. I worked with a number of people who were gay, and they would come to me and having just real difficult times because they had this self-worth issue. I mean, society was giving them a hard time. This was back in the 70s, and they had a hard time with it. I had a hard time with it. How do I deal with that? How do I say that there is a, a righteous, holy God And this is happening in people's lives. The truth is, I don't understand. But I look at God's Word, and I believe what God's Word says about it. Is that hard? Yes, it is. But do I believe that God is able in every circumstance to deal with people's fallen state? Wherever, wherever it is they are in life. And I want to tell you something. I think this is a, especially a very hard place for people. If you think about this, this is a sexual nature, it's, which is a basic instinct for us. There's not a single person here this morning that would have liked to have lived your life without ever fulfilling your sexual desires. And yet that's what we call them to do. It's what God calls them to do. And I believe there's a special place in heaven if they do it. I really believe that. But I want you to hear that there are all kinds of difficulties that people deal with, and God is still the answer for those difficulties. 
Some of them are very hard. And you can't ask me to explain it. I can't. I just tell you that the fallen state of man is full of horror stories. I don't understand how people can, some 17-year-old boy can walk, or 19-year-old boy can walk into a school with a couple of rifles and start killing grade school children. How do you do that? Second, third, and fourth graders? What happened to our society where something clicked and a, and a boy would, would think that there's not anything more wrong with that than other wrongnesses? I mean, I can remember when that would never, even hardened criminals wouldn't have thought of doing that. Something's changed. But God is still the answer. I won't always understand everything, but I've come to the place where I understand enough to where I believe that God is the answer for all of men's needs. And I'm going to tell you something. If you haven't come there, you need to. Because there are people in your life who need to know that you believe what God has said and you'll stand on it resolutely. Even if you don't understand. Uh, last thing, God empowers. Well, there were two things, and I'm not going to get to them. The second one is the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. How does, God, how does God's Spirit glorify Jesus? This one is hard for us to understand a little bit. But, because we don't praise like we used to. Y'all remember when we used to be a praising church? Y'all remember this, don't you? Whenever you'd, you'd be a, God's Spirit would come in a service. And man, there'd be people shouting and praising the Lord and raising their hands, maybe sometimes running the aisles. That'd scare you kids to death, you young folks to death. I remember them, amen. Praising the Lord. I want to I just say this to the younger generation. You probably have never, heard, never seen this. You've heard about it. It's not because God changed. It's because the church has changed. We should still be having times when God's Spirit comes on a service so powerfully that it almost feels like we can't stand it anymore. And if you've been here in a service, you've been in a service that that happened, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who remember what that's like, what happened? I mean, you're, you're just singing a song, and all of a sudden, it's almost like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you sense like sweeping across the congregation the power of God. And from deep inside, and I'm one of those that, that this happens to, deep inside of me it feels like something's just bubbling. And it just, I mean, it actually sounds like a bubble. <laughs> and I'm praising God. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit glorifying Jesus. He's given him praise and honor and glory and it just wells out of the heart that loves him and desires for him to receive glory and honor. That should be a normal experience for the church. When Pentecost falls on the church, what does it do? Does it hunker down behind closed doors and quietly, thank you, Lord, we appreciate it very much. No, uh -uh. they leave that place, they're out in the streets yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs in all different kinds of languages, and everybody's going, what is going on? And Peter steps up and tells them, amen? That's the normal experience of the church. That's not abnormal. That's what happens when people are so in tune with the Spirit of God that they are naturally responding to His moving in their lives, and they glorify the Lord Jesus. By the way, yes, you glorify Jesus because right now he is the means by which you can come to the Father. You should be going, oh, thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus. He has made it possible for me to talk to you. I wouldn't even have a any kind of a relationship with all at all with you, but for Jesus, he has done it all. Praise the Lord. Amen? That ought to be our normal, everyday experience. Lastly, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit empowers preaching. 
Preaching is just talking if God's Spirit doesn't do something to the word spoken. Now, Paul knew that very well. He said, I didn't come to you with men's words, enticing words. I didn't use great speech. I came in weakness and trembling. But my words were accompanied by the empowering of God's Spirit, and power was shed. Preaching is only preaching. It's only words unless God's Spirit does something. Why should you pray for your preacher? Because he can't do it unless you pray that the Holy Spirit empowers him so you'll hear something that touches your life. You should pray for your preacher. You say, we don't understand. My preacher's not that good a preacher. He's saying the same thing about you. You're not that good a congregation. Amen? So what do you do to get better? Complain? Or pray and expect God to enable your pastor to be the man that you need him to be to lead your congregation to a new level. You must pray for your preacher that the Holy Spirit will empower him in his ability to preach and carry the word to you as a congregation. You don't do that? Shame on you. Shame on you. He's not going to be, listen, there is never going to come a preacher here. You can't have revival unless you're praying for it. No preacher is going to bring revival. Revival comes because those who are sitting in the pew say, I need revival. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen? That happens because you want it. You, you know, you'll never get a preacher better than the one you want and desire and pray for. Amen? And I've heard a lot of good things about Pastor Chris. I think he's going to be, he has the makings of being a very good pastor. But you better pray for him. He can't do it without your prayers. I hope you hear that. Because God wants to do something for Greenwood Hills. Amen? He wants this, to, this little church to be a beacon on the side of the road here. And people driving north and south up North Main here, they just sort of feel like they need to swerve in there. Amen? You know the Holy Spirit can do that? Well, we're sure glad to have you here this morning. Why did you come? I don't know. I just felt like I needed to be here. What is that? People praying and God's Spirit leading. Amen? That's the Holy Spirit that's active in our life. He's doing so much, and we expect so little. Let's expect more. And watch and see what God provides. Amen. Praise team, y'all come to sing. <clears throat>
blessings to us. And Lord, today as we leave here, we ask that your spirit would go with us and enable us, empower us, guide us, direct us, help us, Father, to please you with the lives you've given us to live. And may we be a blessing to all we come in contact with this name. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.